Hello, and welcome to the Writers of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. Today, we are at Salt Lake City Fan X Convention, and we're with a very special guest, someone who I've not seen for a couple of years because he was in deployment over in the Middle East for the last multiple years. He's a Writers of the Future winner. Please welcome Mr. Brad Torgerson. Hey, thanks, John. I appreciate it. So, um, we'll break this into, into two sections. The beginning is the, your, the curve... Uh, from beginning of being a wannabe writer to winning the contest and then post that. And um, so let's just kick it off now with what was like that got you on the start to becoming a writer. So as a teenager, I, I read a lot as probably most of the winners do. But uh, yeah, I didn't really take it seriously until I was uh, happened to do a little bit of scripting for a homespun radio serial here in Salt Lake at KRCL FM. It's a public radio station. Just as a just as something fun to do. Yeah. Uh, it was unpaid, but at the same time I was doing that, I was reading Larry Niven, who's one of the contest judges, um, and was really getting to his short fiction. Yeah. And uh, I thought, well, Larry does this for real, meaning it's his profession. I wondered how much harder I'd have to work. Turns out it was a lot harder. Uh, <laughs> so this this is I was probably a teenager, eighteen years old. Um, so for the next seventeen years. Many, many, many rejection slips, a lot of trial and error and frustration and failure and the standard teething that you know, most writers, at least in the old days, uh, before indie publishing went through. Um, and uh, I didn't actually enter the contest until probably, I want to think it was 2007, Yeah. Um, at the urging of a few friends. Because uh, one thing my wife had said to me in 2005, she says, well, what more can you do that you haven't tried yet or that you haven't done? And and a few of my friends were like, why don't you do Writers of the Future? And I, I wasn't terribly familiar with the contest. Um, they said, look it up. You know, here's the website. Yeah. And I, of course, immediately went out and did my homework and started reading the anthologies and got excited because I said, oh, I, I, I might have a shot with this, especially since um, Dean Wesley Smith, who's one of the contest judges, mm -hmm. uh, way back then had been editing a series of Star Trek fan fiction anthologies called us, I think it was Strange New Worlds. And I came close on a couple of stories there. So I'd had some encouragement from him. Um, he was one of the people that was in, you know, encouraging people to do Writers of the Future. So I started entering. Of course, I didn't you know, score right away. It took, I think, another two, two and a half years of you know, honorable mentions. And, and finally, I got my first finalist in, uh, I think Joni Labaki called me in 2009. I want to say early 2009. And even that didn't win, which crushed me. I'll be honest, yeah. that crushed me. I was so crushed. It, it was the best thing I'd ever written, and I was so happy with it. And when it got finalist, I was like, oh, finally, something good's going to come of this. And it didn't win. And I was just, I, 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 I moped around for about a day, and my wife was like, well, you got to keep trying. So I did, and uh, got another finalist the same year that did win. Uh, the finalist that didn't, that, even that was a neat story because uh, after winning the contest with the second finalist, which went into volume 26, yeah, 26, yeah. Um, the story that didn't win, I still sent it to Analog Magazine, to editor Stan Schmidt, and I said, Stan, Dave Wolverton over at the contest really enjoyed this. Uh, he, he thought it was good. I thought it was good. Maybe you will too. So, so then I get a letter back in January. This is... January 2010, and he said, I do like this, and I'm going to publish it. Not only did he publish it, but it won the Reader's Choice Award. <laughs> so pretty much everything that's 
that I've done that's been Riders of the Future related has had little magic fairy dust sprinkled on it yeah. because uh, it's always done really well for yeah. me. Um, so it's always a treat to represent the contest now, 10 years later. Uh, the Dragon Award, of course, being the most recent yeah, and yeah. exciting thing. Um, co uh, contest Judge Larry Niven presented me with that last weekend, uh, which was a great thrill and a great honor. And for everybody listening that voted, uh, I appreciate you voting, whether you voted for me or not. The, the dragons I love because they're open to everybody. Everybody can vote on the dragons. It's, a, it, it, in my opinion, a, a true gauge of fan enthusiasm, uh, which I think is very important. Yep. And, of course, yeah, Writers of the Future has been woven into my career ever since. Uh, I've been back several times as a uh, kind of a returning winner. I've, a few years ago, I would help shepherd the new winners around through their contest week. Uh, there's quite a few of us out here in Utah that are prior winners. Mm -hmm. um, I'm only one of them. There's probably at least half a good half a dozen. That are uh, here, yeah, at, uh, <laughs> at the show doing signings at our yeah, booth. Yeah, yeah, there's a, they're, they're around. So Good. So... Um, at what point did your deployment, when did that kick in? Oh, uh, so I'm in the Army Reserve. I'm a Chief Warrant Officer. Um, I had actually gone to candidate school the same year. A lot, of, a lot of things happened in 2009 that were important to me. One of them was candidate school, because that's where you transition from being a, a sergeant to a warrant officer. Uh, so I had gone and done that. Um, but the deployments didn't hit until, I think, 2014, 2015. Yeah. Um, I got deployed overseas uh, for about a year with a joint task force over in the Middle East. Uh, came back for a couple of years and then got deployed again back to the Middle East, of course. That's standard army. You, yeah. you go anywhere, you're probably going to the Middle East. Yeah. Um, I am most recently back from that uh, just a few weeks ago. And uh, that's, that's where I actually finished writing the book that won the Dragon Award. Um, I was on deployment when Tony Weisskopf at Bain Books was politely poking me saying, we really need to do this book. Are you done with it yet? So uh, it was a challenge getting it done on deployment. Um, uh, but I got it done and it, it, it's done well for me. We've had a lot of entrants and a lot of winners and obviously a lot of fans that are in the military. So let's talk a little about that. Like, so now how did you work out doing your writing while you were deployed? Um, it, it's actually a little bit easier than being at home because when you're home, your civilian job, your family, church stuff, whatever you've got going on reasserts itself. Military life is different, especially if you're deployed, because when you're not on the clock, and granted, it can be long days, you know, like the first deployment, it was 12-hour days, six, seven days a week. But when you're not sitting there doing your job, your time is yours. Right. So I, there, it, and there's nowhere else to go. It's not like you're out sightseeing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're just sitting there in your cot or your bunk or whatever you happen to have, and and what are you going to do? Okay, well, pull out the laptop and you know do a couple thousand words. So in that way, deployment is almost good for you. At least it was for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, being back home, it's like everything reasserts itself. Everybody wants a piece of your time. Events like this are time-consuming. Obviously, they're not. I, it's fun coming to events like this, but they're not great for writing because for the three or four or five days you do these events, you can't really write. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's still good to be back. I'm glad to be home. It's, uh, it, it's fun, especially now with the, with the Dragon Award win. Um, you know, people are, hey, congratulations. And, you know, of course, the books are selling and things are going well. So in terms of end of tour awards, the Dragon is the best thing I could have hoped for. I'm happy about it. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that was awesome. So Rise of the Future is a short story competition 
and you're writing novels. So how did that transition, or did, how did it help, or did it help being able to, what, what about Rise of the Future helped that prepared you for novels? Well, I think, um, and, and those that win, you know, this gets reinforced at the workshop. You know, you have that quarterly deadline, so it, it teaches you how to get used to having a deadline. Um, it forces you to not uh, sit on the same story forever and ever. You know, you got to have something new to produce every yeah. three months, you know. So it kind of trains you in the professional mold of you've got a deadline, you've got to put out regular new work on a regular basis, things of that nature. Which, in, in my opinion, people learn way more from producing new work than they do endlessly polishing the same old piece. Um, I, I know a lot of aspiring writers, including myself, fall into that. Even in my experience, that was one thing I changed is instead of trying to, quotes, make the story better over and over the same story, yeah. I just said, you know what? I'm going to, you know, kind of a three passes and I'm done. So th that was a big shift for me was to, to disengage from the old work and constantly be producing something new. That helped me enormously. Yeah. And it was all because of the contest because you got to turn something new in every 90 yeah. days. Uh, I also had access to a couple of the people that would be judges uh, eventually. Christine Catherine Rush and Dean Wesley Smith. They weren't judges yet in 2009, I don't think. No, they weren't. But they were, they were soon to be. Yeah. And they had roots in the contest, too. So He was um, the first person to be presented an award on Volume 1, Dean. Yeah. Very first uh, person I, ever to be I've read that awarded. story. It's a good yeah. story. Yeah. So, you know, so Dean was one of the people encouraging me to do the Writers of the Future. And uh, so I kind of had a little bit of advanced knowledge from them that eventually shows up in the workshops. Um, in fact, I want to say uh, in volume 26, there's an essay, I think, from Dean Wesley Smith right next to my story, um, if I remember correctly, in the book. So even that was neat, you know. So one of my guys yeah. that's kind of a mentor, I ended up having an essay of his right next to my story. That was a... That yeah. was a real treat. But yeah, it, 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 it forces you as, a, as an aspiring writer to, to get used to deadlines, to produce new work on a regular basis, to send it out. That's the other thing new writers, you know, everyone, um, or maybe not everyone, but many people get in the habit of just not, you know, they get stage fright, so they, they don't send it out. They, oh, it's not good enough to send yet. I don't dare send it. I need to polish it one more time. That, that doesn't work, in my opinion. Um, it, if people will stay on it and produce something new every four months. Well, one of the winners that I admire that's a new winner is Wolf Moon. Yeah. Um, he's got a great story because he entered many times. Um, I, I want to say he got something like 10 honorable mentions, a couple silver honorable mentions. I don't know how many times he was a finalist, but he was extremely proud of his win as well he should be. Oh, for sure. 25 and, times he entered. Yeah. So he just, he just stayed on it and was regular and entered and entered and, you know, that's the other thing I think it teaches uh, new aspiring writers is persistence wins. It's not necessarily about being the most talented person in the world, as they will tell you, the, the instructors will tell you that. It's, you know, talent is everywhere. Everyone has talent, but not everybody has work ethic. Not everybody has persistence. Mm -hmm. Not everybody will make themselves sit in the chair day after day, getting some kind of work done on a new story. And then, of course, they have to have the courage to actually send it to the contest. And then they have to have the courage, and again, Wolf is a good recent example, of when they get that honorable mention or whatever, to say, you know what, I'm not going to be discouraged. Now, I will say this, the, the honorable mention is a beautiful thing if you're an aspiring writer. Yeah. Because you're like, wow, you know, and you find out you're in the top 10%. So 
to find out your top 10% in the judging and they get thousands of manuscripts is a, it, for me was, was really a, a morale booster. So yep. I love those honorable mentions. Um, and then of course, once I made finalist, it was a, just a, you know, a through the roof moment as a, as a guy that had been trying for many years and had struggled to finally make finalist was a really big deal. Um, and of course, then the win, the win was, I still remember the afternoon I got the call on the win. Um, it was a surreal moment because for years and years and years, I had wanted so badly to have that moment and know what it felt like. Yeah. And when it finally hit, I remember it was in November 2009, Joni Labaki called me and, and I just, I was actually at a drive through at a restaurant and the phone rang and who's calling me? And I picked it up and hey, this is Joni, Brad, guess what? And I was like, I was expecting her to say, you, you didn't win because of my previous finalist hadn't win. And I said, oh, oh yeah, it, it didn't make it, huh? And she said, no, no, you're a winner. And I was like, wow. I mean, I was floored. I was absolutely yeah. floored. Uh, I said, I'm so sorry. I'm here in a drive-thru picking up my order, and I can't believe this. So I pulled over, and just we, we chatted, and I was gushing. And, and it was uh, surreal. Yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was very few things have been as satisfying for me than the Writers of the Future win. Um, very few things. Yeah. Uh, that was one of the two things that year that was just a wow. Of course, the other one was graduating candidate school, which was a, just like Writers of the Future. It was this horrendous amount of effort um, to, to achieve something. And to finally achieve it was, was very satisfying. That's awesome. So now the transition from short fiction to novels. So uh, that's still a process for me. I feel like a natural short story writer. Um, contest judge Mike Resnick and I, he, Resnick presented me with my trophy, and he didn't know me from Adam at the time, uh, but he presented me with my trophy, which was a huge honor. So I've had the good luck of having him present me with my Writers of the Future win, and then contest judge Larry Niven presented me with my Dragon win. Yeah. So I'll, you know, here again, the contest people are, the judges they're everywhere. Are, are, yeah, they're they're <laughs> they're 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 part of my experience in the publishing world. Yes. But Mike uh, got to be good friends with me, and 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 he's like, yeah, you're you're a natural short story guy. Um, I've had to teach myself to go longer on novels. Um, I do think the skill set helps, though, because learning to sh write short stories, you have to have economy of words and brevity. You have to really be able to snag your reader and bring them into the story quickly. Right. With books, you get a little more leeway, but I still think it's good to have that skill set so that when somebody picks up your book and reads it, even if all they do is read the back blurb, if you can get skilled at, at doing a, a very good back blurb, because publishers frequently will come to you first if they want the back blurb. Not always, but they'll come to you and say, well, what do you think it should say? If you can get good at writing those even, yeah, that's a good way to suck your reader in. I mean, it's all about enticing them to say, you know what, this might be a good story. And if you can get them in quickly and keep them in, you'll keep them for the whole book. So I think shorts help you with that. Uh, again, short fiction I enjoy anyway. Um, Larry Niven, uh, is, is a big reason for that because he was a very, very skilled, very skilled short fiction writer. Um, still is, in my opinion. Yep. Um, and I've, I've always admired that. So I deliberately patterned my skill set after Larry. Uh, and and it's for me, it's, it's done quite well. The short stories have been a great calling card. So again, the contest was a good, was a good proving ground to, to hone my craft and you can have those deadlines and, and yeah, now that I'm doing the books, it's a lot of fun because that's the other side of the publishing. In fact, that's the bigger side of it because the audience wants the books. They want 
books specifically in series, that's very common. Uh, so to be able to do books in series and publishing with Bain, of course, is a, is a great treat. I like Bain a lot. Yep. Major science fiction publisher. They published David Weber, uh, who also won a dragon last weekend. Um, yeah. It's, so it's a, it's a thrill. But again, all of that happened because I, I cracked it with Writers of the Future. Um, it all started there. So, uh, you know, what can I say? That's great. That, that was the beginning was... 2009, winning Writers of the Future. That's awesome. So tell me a little bit about the book you just won your Dragon Award for. So A Star-Wheeled Sky is a hard science fiction novel um, wrapped up with some military science fiction elements and some big ideas. The, the kernel of it, uh, or the nugget maybe that I would put, it, put out to readers would be, it's the far future. Humanity is uh, in a little closed network of stars because after losing Earth, a, a long-ago war has driven humanity away from Earth. They don't even know where Earth is anymore, but they've discovered this. It's called the Waywork. It's a little network of stars that an alien superhighway system has been constructed uh, to link them all together. So instead of taking hundreds of years to go from star to star, they can go very quickly. It's a faster-than-light system. They can use it. They don't know how it works. And it's kind of contained in a bubble of about... 50-odd, 60-odd solar systems. But because it's a, a contained system, of course, there's competition for resources, human nature being what it is. There's competition between warring factions. The story itself is about a disgraced flag officer who is trying to redeem herself, who has been charged with shepherding the daughter of royalty, who is also a specialist on the alien technology. Uh, but they have to employ some civilian ships that have been drafted into the military service uh, uh, using the uh, son of a interstellar shipping magnate. And they're up against basically uh, kind of a military governor, an oligarch from a, a rival empire. And they're all racing to find the secret of the alien technology because for the first time in about a thousand years in this universe, um, a new waypoint on the waywork has appeared. So never before has that ever happened. It's a chance for uh, one, government to try to escape and find a, a game changer that will help them against the, the big tyranny that is swallowing everything up. And for the military governor in the tyranny, it's her chance, she hopes, to seize this alien technology, uh, to use it not only uh, against her enemies, but to use it to climb the ladder and seize ultimate power you know, within the empire that she's part of. So right. that's, that's kind of the, the gist of the story. Yeah. Um, uh, it's done really well. I've gotten lots of good reader comments on it. Uh, I got a beautiful piece of cover art from Alan Pollock, um, professional artist. He's done a lot of covers for Bain Books and, and other, uh, other publishers. Um, beautiful artwork. I've yeah. gotten so much good, uh, good commentary on that. I've, I've been a fan of the artwork ever since I uh, saw it two years ago. Just brilliant. Um, and yeah, it's, it's part of a series. Book two and book three I'm working on right now. It continues the story. Um, book one is kind of act one of a, what I envisioned to be a, a three-act three larger yeah. story. Yeah. Um, I talked about that on a different podcast earlier today, uh, describing how in Western fiction we have the three-act play, and it's you'll see that replicated in the book. There's three parts in the book, you know, broken down into chapters. The books themselves are three parts of a, a bigger story, and then the story even goes beyond that to where there might be uh, multiple series. Um, but it all starts with read your enthusiasm for book one. So it's been really good. Again, the mm. Dragon Award is a huge kick in the pants. Um, reader, reader comments continue to be good. 
word of mouth continues to be good, so I'm I'm enjoying it. From an author standpoint, it's a it's a great deal of fun having a book like that. Yeah, getting that much attention. So you're going to stick with this one, or are you going to are you going to run anything else parallel with this? I'm contemplating. There's a series that uh, uh, writer Larry Correa, he's a bestseller that works with Bain. Uh, Larry Correa uh, and I have been floating a concept for a few years that might uh, end up being an alternate history kind of swords and sorcery, sorcery fantasy, but it's going to be a, 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 a an Earth-based kind of idea. I, I call it Norse America, where I posit that uh, a thousand years ago, when the Viking Age is actually happening, magic is real, the frost giants are real, um, they're driving everyone out of Northern Europe, and they're they're, they're, they're coming down to crush everyone. And, and I posit that the, the Vikings flee first to Iceland and then flee over into Greenland and then ultimately to Vinland, tracing the original kind of settlements that they did, but there's way more of them. And, of course, they run into conflict with the mound-building uh, first peoples that are up and down the East Coast and into the, into the Ohio Valley and places like that. And, of course, magic has wound through this idea. And uh, I... I I postulated uh, uh, an Aztec blood god coming up from Mexico, driving his armies. You know, Larry Larry's a good guy to talk to about this stuff because he thinks on that level too, very, very sure, well, yeah. and writes brilliant books in, in fantasy. Yeah, so, monster, so that's the concept. Yeah. yeah, that is the concept. I have Bain's interest on the concept. I have some notes. I've done a bunch of research uh, because it, it's, it, it's. I still want it to be true alt history. So I'm trying to get my research right with some of the facts I need. Um, that's one that I, I, I definitely want to pursue with Bain. When am I going to have the time for it? Uh, I'm trying to squeeze that in now that I'm back from deployment. We'll see how successful I am. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So in terms of aspiring writers, what tips would you have? What would you say is like a really important thing from your perspective for them? For, for people who are brand, brand new, have never written anything before, um, I would say decide what you want to do with it. Decide what, what your ultimate ambition is. And if your ambition is to be a professional writer, pay attention to the people that you admire most. What, who, go back through your library, find the ones that you like the most, that you're like, wow, I just love this writer so much. Because those people are going to be your templates. So have your templates, pay attention to what you think they're doing. Definitely set yourself up, I would say, to entering the contest. Yeah. I mean, that's, I tell people that all the time uh, at events like this and workshops and el elsewhere. I always tell everybody to enter because th the other thing about the contest is, is it's, you're not competing with other professionals to get published. It's, it's designed for new writers to, to have a chance. Uh, and for the, the, the reward that you get, it's just phenomenal. You get the workshop week, you get all expenses paid, you get the award ceremony, which is brilliant and better done than than any award in science fiction. And I've won some awards. Uh, I can tell you nothing has ever been as, as, as awe-inspiring as the contest. And then um, the, the key thing is to, just to write a lot. Um, there's an old saying, uh, uh, you know, your first million words. That, yeah. was, that was true for me. It took about, when I won Writers of the Future, I went through and added it up. I had about 850,000 unpublished words. Um, that were unpublishable in hindsight. Um, and that was my practice. Uh, now, not everybody's going to need that much practice, but most people need some kind of practice. Nobody, or very few people, I should say, are very proficient right out of the box. Mm -hmm. and, that's, and that's normal. That's yeah. fine. 
but it's got to be done. And it won't be done by polishing the same little story or the same little book manuscript. I see that all over the place. Don't be a polisher. Don't, don't think, I'm going to write this book and I'm going to keep making it better and better and better. That's a project of diminishing returns. That doesn't work. Set that manuscript aside, if that's what you've been doing already. Work on something totally new. A new universe, a new project, a new character, whatever it is, do something new. Um, I, I, for me, that was a game changer when I started doing that. Yeah. Um, you know, if you, if you can get a chance to do a workshop, especially with some of the contest judges, Kevin J. Anderson does some good workshops. Uh, Christine Catherine Rush and Dean Wesley Smith do some good workshops. Yep. You know, there's no... There, there's no, uh, there's no problem at all with doing those workshops. Um, I, I did Chris and Dean's workshops even before I did the uh, Writers of the Future workshop. Um, so if you can do one of those, that's, that's another thing I would recommend. Um, going to conventions like this and meeting other pro writers. Yep. Um, talking to them. I mean, that was something else I did different. For, for many years, I never went to any conventions. I never went to any workshops. I never did any of that. So in 2005, my wife was like, well, what can, we, what can we have you try that's new? And I had never done that. So I started going to conventions and did a couple workshops, and it, it made a difference. Um, I think too many writers are, they get locked in their heads, and they just write their stories, and they'll talk to their friends, but they may not talk to professionals enough to start getting awareness of what's possible in the professional world. Yeah. Um, uh, of course, with indie publishing now, it's all different. Anybody can publish anything, but as contest judge Kevin J. Anderson always says at his workshop, uh, which is uh, a beautiful workshop, I, I really am a fan of uh, superstars. But anyway, he, he will say the same thing every time. Publishing is now easier than it's ever been. Success is still hard um, because you can publish all you want, but can you tell a story? This is where, again, the practice, um, if, if people can enter the contest on a regular basis and get their practice in it will help them enormously to actually get better at telling stories not writing per se mm -hmm. i think writing is an overlapping skill set but can you tell a story some of the especially some of the judges like uh, eric flint you know they can tell a damn good story yeah. that's that is how they have such a huge audience like they do um uh, it's again it's a different skill set from writing so that's what you want to teach yourself is can you tell a story uh, something else I would say to the aspirers that are entering Writers of the Future is definitely get the most recent two or three volumes. You know, go online, Amazon, wherever you're going to buy them. I used to buy mine at Barnes & Noble. Um, uh, wherever you can get your hands on the, 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 the latest, the very latest two or three, and read those. And you won't, and I'm talking to the audience when I say this, you won't like every single story in every single volume because they won't necessarily be to your taste. Yeah. But you will generally find three or four that you're like, wow, that was really good. I really like that. Those are the ones, and they'll be different for each person. Yeah. You know, a dozen entrants will read each volume and pick different stories that they're favorites. Those are the ones that I tell the entrants to really pay attention to, reread a couple times, two, three, four times, whatever, and then let it percolate around in the back of your subconscious and try to think almost on a on a subliminal level, what about that story worked for you? And again, I'm using ubiquitous you for whoever's yeah. listening. What about that story worked for you? Um, it wasn't a contest story, but I remember one thing right before I got my finalists, uh, there was a story called Arcfall, 
by Carolyn Ives Gelman. Beautiful story. I think I read it in uh, Fantasy and Science Fiction uh, or Asimov's. I, I can't yeah. remember where I read it. I, I want to say it won a Nebula or might have won a Hugo. I, I can't remember. But it was a gorgeous story, beautiful story. And one of the things I did, because I was reading the contest, uh, I want to say volumes 20 through 23 at the time, as I, as I let Arcfall and some of those contest stories just sit on the back of my, my imagination for a few weeks. And when I sat down to write my next story, this was, uh, I want to say, fall of 2008, probably October, November. Yeah. I, I let those stories influence my, my new stuff. And the beautiful thing about it is literally that story that came out of that, um, that became my first finalist. <laughs> and then that story went on to become the one that got published in Analog. And then that became the one that went on to win the Writers of or uh, the, win the, uh, the Reader's Choice Award. So it made a difference. Yeah. And I, I, I can't say that'll work for everybody, but again, reading the most recent volumes and picking the stories that work and just kind of fire up your imagination, those are the ones you want to pay attention to. Again, not every story in every single volume will do that, but there's usually at least two or three or more that anybody can look at and go, wow, that was really good. Yeah. Uh, and those are the ones that will help them kind of get on track for what probably will be a you know something that'll get a silver honorable mention maybe a semi-finalist maybe a finalist or even a winner uh it worked for me so i always tell people to do that as well good well that's very very good advice so if somebody wants to find out more about you how they find you um they can go to amazon i'm all over amazon i've got a page there with all my books and uh i'm in a great many anthologies uh so uh Website, uh, bradrtorgerson.com. Amazon, I'm all over Amazon. Yeah. I'm at Barnes & Noble, both in, uh, on, the, on the web and on, in the bookstores. Um, now, how do you spell your name? So make sure everybody knows that's how you end your name. T-O-R-G-E-R-S-E-N. Norwegian. That's not O-N, it's Correct. It's good Norwegian E on the end of that. Yeah, correct. Correct. So that's on Amazon. Do you also have social? Yeah, most people can find me on Facebook. I'm I'm close to the limit of about five thousand, but I've got a, a few dozen friend spots left. Um, so if you want to find me and friend me on Facebook, please do. I've also got a page on Facebook. Same thing. Just look for Brad Torgerson. Good. Um, that's that's the way I interact with most of the fans. Uh, you know, social media probably on too much, but I am I am available there. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Brad. It's been thank a you, John. To have I appreciate you. it. And thank you for listening to the Rise to Feature podcast. Rise to Feature was a contest started by Elwin Hubbard in 1983 to provide a means for the aspiring writer, a chance for their creative efforts to be seen and acknowledged. The Rise Future podcast is available on several platforms. Please subscribe and listen to our episodes as they come out. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>